Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to episode two of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller alongside Patrick Williams as usual. No guests today for the episode, but we've got a couple interesting topics, such as our prospect of the week, team of the week, uh, Felix Robert, who's one of the league-leading scorers. Very interesting story there with Syracuse. But to start things off, we're going to go to a story that I probably would have never thought we'd be talking about this part of the season if you were to ask me in June, and that is Jack Drury's slump. Now, Jack Drury, playing for Chicago Wolves, uh, second-round pick of the Carolina Hurricanes a couple years ago, regarded as a a high-end prospect. Uh, He finished last year during the Calder Cup run with 24 points in 18 games. Kind of seemed like he was, you know, destined to make the Canes roster. Um, And now what's happening is he's at one point in six games. Uh, Sort of a confusing situation there, uh, to say the least. Uh... Last year, he was on a second line with David Gust and Josh Levo that kind of feasted off the secondary matchups with, you know, Podorowski, Smith, and Nosen with that first line in Chicago. And it seems like he's coming down to earth a bit. Patrick, what's your take on the early season struggles from Drury? Um, my take is that this is a normal part of the development curve. It's not always a straight upward trajectory uh even for someone like a jack dory who last season he just kept getting better and better he was one of those prospects he didn't necessarily start uh you know as as a dominant player but you could tell with each month that passed uh, skating got better his just his puck sense his his ability to read the ahl which a lot of players will tell you that it's a really difficult league to read in, in some ways, uh, it's it's scrambly, it's chaotic. It's uh, sometimes not only are you playing with different uh, players from one night to the next, your opponents are are doing the same, right? So you're you're constantly seeing different combinations, different different lines, different matchups. Um, so with him, you know, Chicago uh, won the cup last year. Obviously, they went through significant off-season changes. Um, Ryan Worsowski, the head coach there to start with, went to San Jose as an assistant coach. So they brought in Brock Sheehan uh, from the Chicago Steel. Highly, highly regarded young coach. Um, There's a lot of roster turnover as well. Podorowski, like you mentioned, uh, CJ Smith, uh, Josh Levo, uh, David Gust, they all moved on uh, to other opportunities. So that took Drury from being part of the cast to now being one of the, the main cast. Um, that means he's seeing the best matchups every night. Um, he, he also went, he went deep, deep into training camp with the Carolina hurricanes uh, before he was the last cut basically. And that's just a tough transition uh, to come back. You get so close. You're right there. And, and you know, just as you're there, you get knocked down a couple notches on the ladder. So, I think he'll be fine. Uh, the talent is 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 there, obviously. Um, he's got a good head on his shoulders. I, I spoke with him uh, a number of times last year. Uh, very impressive. Uh, 
son of Ch uh, Ted Drury, former NHL player. So there, there's a lot of good um, uh, ingredients that are working for him. And I, I, I do think he'll be fine. Uh, you know, I should add to Chicago's had a tough start. Um, you know, they've been up and down as well, which is to be expected with so much change, but um, that's affected him as well. I think they've, they've had to, uh, find find the right combination still, and it's still a little bit of a, a progression uh, that's that's underway there. It's interesting because with Drury, I wouldn't say that he's come down to earth. Like maybe he's come down to earth in some respects, but his game has never really been about offense. Um, mm. He's more of a two way player, um, great on faceoffs. Sort of does the simple things that you know you have in your fourth line playing a couple of minutes a night. I wonder if this time around they had hoped he could get more reps offensively it's weird because with a guy like him you would know this pat is there a value even if he won't necessarily play that the nhl level to get him in those offensive situations i think confidence confidence more than anything for young players right. um even if it's not necessarily going to long-term translate to the nhl getting getting that sense that i can be a dominant player at the american league level I think right. it's huge for young players. And um, what you don't want to do is you don't want to put them on that, that, that elevator up and down, up and down, up and down. You, you want, when you finally do bring him up to Carolina, you want him to stay there and you want to right. become a fixture in that lineup. Uh, that's where I think a lot of young prospects get into troubles when, when NHL teams, either because of uh, a choice or circumstances, get impatient or, or they have to just simply because of lineup issues start bringing young prospects up before they're ready. Uh, you know, the, the teams that can avoid that, like, you know, your, your Tampa's, uh, Ottawa is a good example in recent years, um, are much better, you know, for it in the long term. Is there a detriment for Carolina's prospects when you're with, so Chicago, for those that don't know, the Chicago Wolves, they're sort of like half of the team, if I'm right, like, correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, but half the team is, or about half is AHL contracts that Chicago signs. The other half is Carolina property. I, I think that used to be an issue in Chicago, but um, th there's a better understanding now, I think, between Carolina. Don Waddell there in Carolina, the, the GM, he, he actually he was with the Chicago Wolves uh, during his time with the Atlanta Thrashers, uh, going back to that affiliation, which is more than a decade ago. Um, there's been a, a recognition that obviously the, the entire player development business has changed, um, right. since that time and that kind of the old days of just, um, having a little bit more free reign that doesn't work anymore. Right. Uh, so, so I, I do think, uh, especially for, for, uh, a team like Carolina where they're not necessarily going to, uh, be a big spender. I mean, development is always going to be a, a real crucial piece of their operation, um, there's a sense there that, you know, we have to do it the right way. And, and so I, I don't see that as a factor right now. What about the mental side of things? Having gone so far into training camp, like when you, from what you've seen in the past of guys that get to that final stage, they don't make it. There's gotta be some sort of adjustment period there as well. No. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, just a, a mindset thing, if nothing else, right. You know, you're, you're fighting for that, you know, last spot or two in the NHL lineup. And now within the span of a couple of days, now you're back in the AHL. Now you're expected to be a top, top line player. 
you're expected right. to play 20, 20 plus minutes a night. Um, you're also dealing with, with just new line mates, right? Um, you know, <laughs> a lot of times I joke, but it, it's true. The, the AHL is, is kind of like, it's almost in the sense that uh, it feels that players almost meet their teammates kind of that, you know, first few days before the actual season opener. Right. right. And you're still getting to learn each other's names and, you know, who is so-and-so and now you're expected to go out and play on the ice. I mean, that, that's such a difference from the NHL. Maybe the, one of the biggest differences is the NHL, you see lines, they last, you know, long stretches, you know, part of the season, you know, even season to season in some cases, HL, I mean, it's, it's the ultimate line blender uh, uh, league where one night to the next, I mean, and it usually affects obviously your top players because your top players are the ones most likely to be called up. Uh, so, so just from there it trickles right down the whole lineup. So there's always constant change. I think that's also kind of the uh, part of the secret ingredient for the HL, why they are su- successful developed players. It really forces players to adapt and learn how to handle different circumstances, different roles one night to the next, uh, to the next. So, um, it, it really does force players out of their comfort zone. And I think ultimately, while it can be difficult in the short term, short term, long term, it, it, it helps them. Let's get to our prospect of the week. And that is Lucas Reichel of the Rockford Ice Hogs, Chicago Blackhawks, recent first round pick 10 points in his first six games this year. And dating back to last year, that gives him 67 points in 62 games. Obviously, Chicago to the basement. They're going to be in the race for Connor Bedard. So naturally, people are talking about, you know, Reichel being called up and whatnot. But I would argue that probably the best place for him right now is in Rockford. Um, Reichel is, you know, he has the potential to be a game breaker. I saw him in Manitoba uh, in the debut series against the Moose. And I was, you know, and I whenever I've seen him, I'm just continuously blown away. I think that with Lucas Reichel, you're getting a guy where when you're watching AHL games, there's usually about one or two people on the ice of either team where you're saying that guy's going to make it. That guy is going to be not even just make it, but that guy's going to be a real difference maker at the next level. And with Lucas Reichel, there's no doubt about that. Unbelievable hands, vision, skill all around. You know, as I mentioned before, 10 points in six games, he's getting into that next gear. He's becoming even more sort of dominant out there and, you know, anticipating plays, uh, do you see, like, I kind of alluded to it as I brought this up, but Pat, like he, he's going to be here for the full year now. Um, that's, that's well, an interesting question. Um, you know, he went to training camp, right? Uh, I don't think there's a question that he can hang at the NHL level, but the question is, right. do you want a player to just hang there or do you want him to thrive? Um, right. and I think that's where the Blackhawks didn't feel he was quite ready to be somebody that would thrive. You want him there eventually to be your top six, top, you know, ideally top three, maybe at some point. Um, and he's, he, you don't want him to be there playing maybe 10, 12 minutes a night, third, fourth line work, um, not playing maybe with, with the, the right sort of line mates. So send him to Rockford. Um, he's going to play first line, obviously top, top minutes with, with uh, top veteran players. So, and he's going to be the guy. He's going to be somebody that is counted on every single night. Um, and I think for a young player, that, that, that's a really good opportunity. Obviously, sh- sh- Chicago's not going anywhere this year. Uh, I don't think anybody's expecting that. Um, so this is an opportunity to, to 
not rush a player and um, really give him that extra bit of time in the American League and really just sand down any remaining edges in his game, um, you know, both on and off the puck. And, and then when you do bring him up, again, it's sort of like the same thing with Drury. He's ready and you're not sending him back and forth. So, so that's, that's always one of the ultimate questions for, for NHL general managers. You know, can we bring this player, uh, can we bring him into the NHL? Sure. But is he, what's he going to be there? To, to what end is that going to, going to be the best thing for his long-term game? I think that's where you're seeing there's a much better recognition um, than there used to be in the past of every player has, has their own development curve and, and, right. and don't rush players because we've seen so many players through the years where um, they had all the potential in the world, but they weren't managed right. They weren't developed properly. They were rushed and ultimately it hurt them. Uh, and they didn't meet their potential. And for Reichel, it's, I guess the argument would be what possible good will it be for him to be in Chicago? Because there's always this notion that if you're dominant in the AHL and then you go up to this, you know, basement feeder team like Chicago, you'll get more opportunity, more minutes and whatnot, when that couldn't be the farthest thing from the truth. Mm-hmm. The opportunities in the AHL, in the NHL, it's all about winning. It's yeah. all captain serious. Everything is about whether whether you're you know on a basement team or not, coaches aren't there to rebuild. They're there to win games. So the little things that you know Reichel maybe in his game that can't be trusted, those will be harped on. Things like that. And I think for him, the key is getting him to just blossom this year, continue to dominate. Like what? He's still I think only twenty. Like mm-hmm. can't be any older than that. And it's interesting because for Chicago, it's going to be really key to not screw up something like this. And by that, I mean Reichel. You want him to be on a trajectory to, you know, walk right into the NHL in a way where it's a lot more comfortable. I think I like the way that you said it before the last segment about the elevator. That's the last thing I think you'd want with someone like him. Stability is, is definitely key. Um, I want to move on to a, a different topic we had planned to speak about. And this is one of the most interesting stories in the AHL. That's Felix Robert. Mm. This is, this is, you know, Tampa Bay lightning type of story galore. And so, so Felix Robert signed a two year entry level deal with the lightning in the off season. So at 10 points in his first seven, seven games this year, undrafted forward, 23 years old, played the last two years on an HL deal with Wilkes-Barre. Um, a lot of parallels to Yanni Gord. And it goes beyond just the fact that he's five foot nine. High really does. There's sort of this, this chippiness, this tenacity, and this will to win way of playing that really, really resonates with what you want in your bottom six these days. What's interesting about Robert is last year he, he had point thirty eight five five on five even sorry five on five primary points. That was seventeenth amongst all under twenty three players. He had virtually no power play time. Wilkesbury pretty much deployed him middle six type of minutes, I guess I would say. Um, but according to Instat, advanced data, he was among, among the 95th percentile of generating scoring chances each of the last few seasons. He's shown ability to get to the slot. And this year with Syracuse and more opportunity, he, he's really thriving. And it's a really neat story to see. And kind of, as I said before, yet another example of Tampa finding those diamonds in the rough. It's, it's funny you bring up the uh... – the 95% number, because that, that is definitely a case where the, uh, the, the numbers match the eye test. Right. And you know, that, that, that perfect 
union where they, they come together and, and it confirms what you're seeing. Um, it's funny you mentioned Yanni Gord. Uh, I was thinking Jonathan Marcheseau as well. Yeah. Uh, that same type of player, undersized, um, kind of a guy that's overlooked, um, brought into the Tampa system and patiently developed. Uh, when, when they made that move, I mean, I, I laughed because I was thinking like, here we go again, right? This, right. Is, this is the Tampa Bay Lightning playbook all over again. And, uh, then, you know, so far he, you know, it's, it's bearing that out and, um, you're seeing that, uh, now he's getting an opportunity to really be one of the, the real, uh, showcase pieces of the Syracuse lineup. And they've been off to a difficult start. I should add, like they, they won one game in their first seven. Uh, they've had some real issues, uh, averaging 35 shots against, uh, per night. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, certainly he's, um, he's, producing offensively. And I think, you know, I think along those lines of those early season struggles for the team, it, it's the Ben grew situation. Um, right. Every year it feels like with Syracuse, the first month, month and a half, two months even are difficult. Right. And uh, you know, the, the losses are there. Um, and that is usually because with Ben grew his system and his demands are, are, high i mean probably for my money the, the, the most demanding coach in the american hockey league um very very specific and uh, uh he knows what he wants and it's not always easy to, to drill that message home early but once those principles really start to sink in and, and you get that 100 buy-in but it, it's not just the buy-in it's also being able to execute the buy-in um you're going to see Syracuse really turn around. They're always a dangerous second half team. So uh, what I love for Robert is, is sure he's producing offensively, but now he's also getting to learn one of the best in the business, uh, the player development. If you look at the players, uh, Ben grew a set up in his time with Syracuse. Uh, he's obviously a top uh, CHL coach as well, worked with Hockey Canada. Um, you're, you're going to get a, a complete – 360 hockey education playing in Syracuse for him. So I think it's a fantastic opportunity. And um, it is, it is eerily reminiscent of some of the, the past players that have come uh, right down that same path. What is the Ben Guru sort of blueprint? Why, why is it that he's had or in Syracuse as a whole has had this sort of perennial development model that has led to, you know, just about all the supporting cast being, kind of gone like sorry having gone through um that minor league system it's funny because I, I i've spoken to some some players that have uh played for him and they like him they respect him um in a way and i mean this as a compliment he can be very persistent right. very almost he's a nag and some coaches will, you know, they'll overlook something, you know, maybe, uh, you know, uh, you know, play with the puck or, or turnover where, you know, it, it's 50, 50, whether, you know, you should have made that play or not. Uh, coaches sometimes will let that pass. Ben Gru is on everything. Like there's nothing that, he, that slips past him. Um, and He'll, he'll cite and call out every single mistake. And he's not doing that to be difficult. He's not doing that. Um, you know, he's not trying to embarrass anybody. Um, 
He's he's just demanding, and, and ultimately he wants you to be in the NHL, right? I mean, right. so so I think it takes a little bit of time for players to completely get their head around that, um, and it can be difficult, right? You know, you go in there, and now all of a sudden your game is being picked apart. Um, but ultimately it's going to benefit you. I mean, and, and you know, it's a Tampa model. All you got to do is look at all the players that come through there and you see that, that it works. Right. And like, if you're a young player, how do you question that? Right. And you look right. at all the, all, all the alumni from that program that are now in the NHL, either with Tampa or somewhere else. Many of them have Stanley cups. The method obviously works. So I think that helps sell the message a lot. Um, but, but it, it's a tough message. Right. And, you're even better in players. I mean, sometimes there's some friction there because um, they're 25, 30 years old, and now they're getting their games picked apart. Uh, that's not easy for a lot of them. So um, it's, it's a tough system. It's a tough environment, uh, but it's also very productive. And, and ultimately, you know, players are well-served. And I think when they look back on it, they're really happy they went through that, that, that experience. Well, I talked to Robert's agent, uh, Oliver Fortier, for another story I wrote about Felix uh, for a different publication. And what struck out to me was how there was, you know, four or five, I think it was, he said, teams that offered an entry-level deal. And, you know, very quickly they kind of established that Tampa had a good track track record with guys like him. So there's that reputation there as well. For Robert, it's like you're looking at a situation where you're not Wilkes-Barre, where it's not a matter of – I'm not – bashing Wilkes-Barre and Pittsburgh as a whole, but that situation was not ideal for him. He's going to learn the details from a guy like Drew, and you're going to get a lot closer to the big leagues by going through this sort of development program, if you will. And I think that's what, you know, how far away is he? I think he's a lot closer than someone would think going into the year. Yanni Gord, I think, signed his first entry-level deal a year or two around the same age as Robert, so... If, if he keeps it up, he's definitely in line to, to get a promotion, I would think. Yeah, and, and I mean, Yanni Gord was um, really much further behind. He was actually in the ECHL uh, yeah. for, for, for a bit. And, uh, you know, I think for Robert, too, it's going to be an interesting – this doesn't just apply to him, but really to any player. Right. So he came in in the 2021 pandemic season, yeah. half season essentially, very abbreviated, uh, very kind of a piecemeal season. The lineups were, were – changing nonstop. You were only playing a handful of opponents. Um, it was, it was more than nothing, but it was far from ideal. Um, totally. And um, so that, so that's, that was kind of a chaotic environment to come into uh, for any young player. And now you're, you know, you're in that, you know, that crucial 21 year old age and you're trying to learn the pro game in that sort of situation. Right. So, um, last year was a little bit more normal in the American Hockey League, but this is really the first season where you can truly say, all right, this is a fully normal season, uh, normal pace, normal schedule. Even last year, I mean, Syracuse played 55 games in their final 110 days uh, because they had so many postponements. Uh, so, so you didn't get, uh, obviously Robert wasn't there last year, but just for any young player, you didn't get the normal experience in a lot of cases. Now you're going, going to get that. So, uh, I'll be, really be interested to see where some of those young players from a year or two ago, how much ground they're able to make up this season um, and kind of get their games back you know, to where they would have been otherwise. To end things off, let's get to our team of the week, and that is the Buffalo Sabres. Now, most of their under-23 players 
of what is a very strong prospect pipeline. They're in the NHL. Peyton Krebs, Dylan Cousins, Razatalin, Owen Power. I probably missed a couple. Yeah, they're you know they're so deep there. But in Rochester, they have a couple guys that are that are recent you know first and second round picks that are very very notable. Uh, it's hard not to applaud what the Buffalo Sabers have done to their development pipeline, and you're seeing it with the fact of what I just mentioned that the AHL is still relatively you know stocked. The cupboards are not bare, even as the nucleus of your NHL roster is under 23 years old. Let's get into some of the guys that are really standing out this year. The first one I get to is Yuri Kulik, 18 years old, drafted 28th overall, the 22, uh, 2020-22 draft, um, six points in his first seven games, obviously a young and, and raw prospect, but the skill set appears to be there. And I think it's it's interesting because, you know, as a European, obviously he can play in the HL right away, whereas a CHL drafted player can't. It's becoming more and more common as the years go on for you know, Europeans to not elect to go back overseas and to actually stay. And it's worked out quite well for, for a few guys in recent years. Pat, what do you think about Yuri and kind of his start uh, to the season? It raises a question for me where let's say you're dealing with the first round and you're maybe between a player in the CHL and a European player. And they're, they're, they're both kind of equal and it's kind of a toss up. Do you pick the European now? Because there's a better chance for him to go to the American hockey league at 18 and get under your coaching, get under your uh, staff, play that that demanding pro-style game. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a question worth thinking about. And, and I think this is a great opportunity for, for uh, and a great example, really, uh, with uh, Coolidge. 18 years old, uh, obviously, th- that's a very much an unfinished product, even for somebody that clearly has a lot of potential. Um but to come in, he's, he's getting to work with that Amherst development staff. Mike Peck is part of that staff. Um, so if you're a young forward, right, you know, you, you could do a lot worse than learning from somebody like Mike Pekka, a guy who played years and years in the NHL. Um, so so that, that's an, just one example. And, uh, you know, so you're, you're, you're getting a player in there. Um, it's not the sink or swim situation that it used to be with young players. There's so much more support. Uh, I think, really, especially in a place like Rochester and Buffalo. Um, and there's that comfort level now. They, they brought in Jack Quinn um, two years ago. He was just barely 19. Um, J.J. Paterka was a similar situation. Um, so there, there's much more of a comfort level now, knowing that even with a player under 20 years old, that if you're the Buffalo Sabres, you feel comfortable with the idea of, of putting that player into a, a pro environment um, because you feel that you have, well, first you've, you've put an excellent staff in place in Rochester, but you've also really put the resources in, right? There's development coaches, um, money, money helps for sure. Just in terms of, uh, you know, giving players all the amenities that they need. So, uh, it, it's a little bit different now. And, and so with a young player like Coolidge, rather than send them off somewhere, uh, over in Europe, or even if you'd send them, you know, maybe the CHL, now he's he's in Rochester. He's an hour away. If you're Buffalo, you can pop in and out to see him. Uh, he he feels very much um, part of the part of the fold, and um, you know I think it will accelerate his development that much better. Absolutely, uh, Isaac Rosen, 19 years old, so a year older than than Kulik. He also has six points in seven games. This guy gives me Victor Olofsson vibes. He gives mm-hmm. me a lot of that sort of shiftiness uh, with 
a crazy release on his shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 14th overall pick in the 2021 draft. He's another very raw prospect there. I like a lot what I see from his game. It'll be interesting to see how, for both of these guys, how they'll handle the, you know, 72 game mileage that, you know, will come with this season. But it's very, very encouraging for Buffalo. And I wonder, too, if, if these guys that we just mentioned, if they're going to be sort of, you know, when they're hitting their peak, if, if, if Buffalo's core that's currently intact progressed the way that many of us think they could, I wonder if Kulik and Rosen end up being sort of trade chips for, you know, maybe Patrick. I don't know if, sorry, I think, they, I don't know if they'll sign Patrick Kane. I'm uh, sorry, trade for Patrick Kane. Um, I think you'd be, you know, a free agency kind of thing. But let's say that they're at a point where they continue accelerating. They want to trade for a piece that puts them over the top. These two guys kind of seem like, first in line to, to be those trade chips that are valuable that they probably don't have room for. So I've been very impressed with, with that regard. Um, have you seen much, you know, that's you've been impressed by with Rosen? Yeah. Well, f- for one, uh, he, he got a little bit of a taste of the Swedish hockey league last year, which obviously for my money is the top league in Europe. Um, you know, kind of an overall sense, uh, you know, you really have an excellent, uh, track record of uh, two-way players coming out of that league. Um, then he's, he went down a, a level uh, to the second division there, had an injury, missed a pretty good chunk of the season. Uh, but I think for him, and this this was kind of a, a hit or miss, I think, for some young players, uh, elite players. He had an opportunity to go to a World Junior Championship in August. I mean, so that was obviously an abnormal situation, having that tournament in August. But – it gave him some some high level competition coming into camp uh, with the Sabers uh, this fall. Uh, so rather than having him, you know, where he would have been, you know, out of game competition for, for months and months and months, and then all of a sudden be in training camp, this gave him a chance to get his feet wet and play. Obviously, high level competition at the World Junior, and uh, you know, went, went kind of like dovetailed right into. Uh, training camp there and, and from then on he's been really impressive uh and he's going to get a he's going to get a real education with seth happert the head coach at rochester somebody who worked at the u.s development program uh for for a few years uh very familiar with dealing with um those first round picks and that elite talent uh, which is a little bit of a different uh can of worms than developing maybe kind of a you know third fourth round pick where there there's a lot more uh you know, loose ends in their game. So um, I love what the Sabres are doing. Um, they, they really committed to this rebuild um, by, by putting in the resources into development and you're starting to pay dividends. I mean, you're seeing Paterka now. Uh, Quinn is off to a little bit of a slow start, but all the potential in the world. Um, uh, so I think slowly but surely it's, 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 it's starting to turn around in Buffalo. I'd agree with that. That's all we have for today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. We, you know, we hope and expect to have a guest the next week. So you don't just hear, you know, us to talk, but thanks again. And we'll see you next week.